This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Welcome to Unlikable Female Characters, the podcast featuring feminist thriller writers in conversation about women who don't give a damn if you like them. I'm Lane Fargo, and I am so excited to be joined today by my three co-authors of the Audible original Young Rich Widows. Hi, ladies. Hi. (laughs) So since there's so many of us, I am going to call on you and have you each introduce yourselves instead of reading your bio. So Kim, you want to go first? Sure. I am Kimberly Bell and I'm the USA Today bestselling author of seven novels um, plus Young Rich Widow. So I guess that's seven and a quarter. (laughs) (laughs) Um, And my latest, um, My Darling Husband is just out. It came out in paperback on March 8th. Hey, I'm Kate Hollihan, the USA Today bestselling author of uh, five uh, domestic suspense novels. I am, and this uh, Young Rich Widows is number six. And then uh, my number seven comes out uh, this summer from Hachette, The Darkness of Others. With a great cover. I love the cover, Kate. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah, it is a great cover. So pretty. And Vanessa. Hi, I'm Vanessa Lilly. Um, I've written two um, Amazon best-selling thrillers uh, for the best and little voices. Um, so this is my, I'm counting, this is not a quarter project for me. This is counting as a whole project. My third book um, and I'm uh, always on Instagram. So come hang out with me over there. That's, Your that's Instagram is so good. You're the best at Instagram. Um, okay, so let's talk about this book and how it came together. And I feel like, Vanessa, you're the one who brought us together in this incredible literary supergroup. So do you want to yes. <laughs> tell us how this happened, how the magic happened? Yes, absolutely. So isn't there always just some like creepy white guy who brings supergroups together? <laughs> Is that me? Yeah, that's usually how it goes. <laughs> yeah, like didn't poor Britney Spears have just this terrible manager early in her career who's like awful. Isn't that right? I mean, maybe it was her dad. Well, I mean, there's her I dad. Was say her dad, yeah. There's like, yeah. but there no, but there was this like creepy guy who like brought a bunch of supergroups together back in the day. Oh, what is his name? He like a bunch of boy bands, right? Yes, and I think he got arrested for something terrible. Oh. <laughs> worse than embezzlement I'm not totally sure anyway I'm so no, I, I, where are you going with this <laughs> nowhere I'm nowhere, going nowhere. <laughs> well, it just was a random thought 
uh, that Lane can feel free to delete later. I will um, not okay. delete it. Okay. So, <laughs> here's, so um, I wrote two thrillers that were really um, kind of intense and emotional and connected to personal things for me. Um, and I also had both books out like within a year, um, which was a lot. And I sort of realized that I needed to have fun with writing again. And so I, my old agent mentioned that Audible was, you know, buying books from thriller writers, but mostly short stories. So around 20,000 words. And I've never written a short story. And knowing how I write, I do not believe that will be a skill set that I will naturally be able to do. So I was like, what if? But I like the idea of doing something different and fun. And I like back at school, like I loved group projects. I know everyone hates group projects. I always loved group projects. Like people complain about them. I was like, no, let's all get together. And we'll sit at the school library and put that PowerPoint together. Like I loved it. So I was like, what if we had like other writers? And I thought, you know, I thank God my books came out before the pandemic. So I was able to meet other writers um, and I met all three of these ladies and, um, I loved their books already and I knew we gelled well. Um, so I just thought, what if we just tried to like each write 20,000 words, which is like a short story length, but we put it together for a full length novel. So that's how the idea came about. Um, and then the actual, like our premise of four women, suddenly widows, you know, having to figure out how their partners were killed, but then also like navigate their relationships with each other. Um, that just came about because my husband's a lawyer and he had very casually mentioned that, you know, when he's a partner, like he and his other partners, like shouldn't travel together because if something happened, then the, like, if they all died, <laughs> their firm would go to their wives. And I was like, that's so weird. I love his partner's wives, but um, I was just like, wow, that would be so weird. And uh, being a writer, it just stuck in my head for years. So that's where the the premise came from. I love that you love group projects because I hated group projects in school. <laughs> so when you asked me to do this, I was like really intrigued. But there was a part of me that was like, can I work with others this way? I don't know. But it turned out to be so much fun and like the easiest thing I've ever written like we just had such a blast the whole process we would have these long zoom meetings for hours like actually fun zoom meetings which I mean <laughs> that's magic right there and hash out all the plot and it was the perfect little pandemic escape and it was good timing for all of us because we were kind of all in between projects and we just hammered it out super fast um, I think partially because of that and because it was so much fun and Kate. And yeah, Kate. Kate. <laughs> she was the motor behind the whole thing, like um, writing wise. She would keep us like on schedule and actually probably going even faster than we had intended to, right? We, mm -hmm. we finished it really fast. I was I was very proud of us. Uh, and um, yeah, I, I loved this group project. I usually do hate group projects because, but I think also we all knew our characters so well and had such great ownership of them that it made the plotting really easy in some ways because we could all sit there and when we talk about things um we would know like oh would what would that character do in that situation and i think we were all kind of like well that's what they do and mm -hmm. um and pretty in agreement with that which was um which was great so then i think all we really had to do was um you know, after we had the everything, the bones of it all down, it just it just flowed. Yeah. And I mean, Vanessa had come to us with really basic character sketches, like a name and maybe like a past occupation or like which partner they were married to. But then we were all able to put 
our own stamp on the characters and make them really like the sort of character that we like to write, which obviously like we all have different character writing preferences and like sorts of personalities that we're drawn to. So like, for example, I was like, okay, I want my character to be a stripper and she's super sarcastic and she's like got like intimacy issues and she's like, that's the kind of character I like to write. So do y'all want to talk a little bit about your characters and how you developed them? Um, why don't you go first, Kate, since Justine kicks off the book? Oh, sure. Um, well, I like to write characters who are, you know, they, they're, they're trying to be good people, but they're repressed in a certain way, right? And they have to get over that in order to, um, to rise to the challenge that we've given them in the book. So when Justine, when you meet Justine, um, she's trying to be a, a good mom. She has her first kid. She has some backstory that makes uh, her parenting really important to her. And, but she's lost herself in the process. She's basically become like the support system for her husband and son and doesn't really know who she is or how she fits in uh, to her new life in Providence. And um, and she doesn't have many friends. She's, she's trying to figure that out. And by the end of the book, don't want to give spoilers, but I think that she really has a richness to her life and she's reclaimed a lot of her personal identity that she had lost um, when the book starts. And Justine is, I think, on the face of it, the most likable of all these characters, like in the classic sense. But there's something about that, uh, her being a mom and wanting something for herself, like having her own ambitions. And like, that's something that's really criticized in women in our culture. Like if you aren't giving all of yourself to your children, your marriage, then that is often considered unlikable, which is some bullshit that I'm glad you were able to push back against with Justine. Especially back then, right? Because this is yeah. mid 80s. So you didn't have that many career women or the ones that were, you know, kind of out there were looked down on in many ways. Yeah, this is like the era of what that Diane Keaton movie, Baby Boom. It's like like this conflict. It's like she can be a career woman or she can take care of this baby. And like, how Mm. do we? (laughs) She can't have it all. So, yeah, I love seeing Justine go through that, um, like learning to stand up for herself and learning what she wants. And she's still a great mother the whole book. Like it doesn't change that at all. But she's just learning to speak up for herself. Kim, you want to tell us about Camille? Yes. So I write Camille. And, you know, Camille is very different than the characters that I typically write, which I had a lot of fun with. Um, She is, you know, I typically write women who um, are a lot more relatable than Camille. Um, (laughs) She is someone who is not afraid to use her body and her, her looks to get what she wants. And usually that's men and money. So, you know, that automatically kind of makes her a little bit unlikable. But as we peel back the layers um, and the story progresses, we she, she shows a little bit more of herself, which I think makes her a little more likable and at least understandable as the story progresses. But, you know, she's, she's kind of out there and she does what she needs to do to get by and maybe takes the easy road because she she is pretty and she you know has the looks and she's willing to use them so she's she's uh, she's kind of out there I love a character like that who just takes what she wants and doesn't feel bad about it. And yeah. oh, and we should be saying our so since this is set in the 80s, we all picked like kind of 80s era inspiration for our characters. And Camille, it was Jerry Hall, right? Yeah, an early Jerry Hall. So like big hair, you know, perfect body, and just just gorgeous. 
yeah, she's like a bombshell for the ages for sure. And who was it for Justine, Kate? It was Lisa Bonet. Mm, still a hottie. Yeah, no kidding. <laughs> and for my character, Meredith, I went back and forth a little bit, but I think I ended on Jennifer Connolly because she has that kind of like she looks a little innocent, but she will cut you. Yeah, <laughs> vibe I was going for hair and yeah. Yeah, yeah. And she also is like, she was hot then and she's hot now, will be hot forever. Mm-hmm. <laughs> All right, what about you, Vanessa? Tell us about Crystal. Yeah, so <clears throat> Crystal to me, sort of like physically, I pictured sort of a Bette Midler because that was um, a part of the inspiration was I wanted to write a thriller that was fun, like campy a little bit, over the top. And, you know, like that feeling when you watch a really great 80s movie and it's just the clothes and the way they talk and just everything is so good. Like, I just love that feeling. Um, So that's that was the vibe. And so to to do that, I really saw my character as being this like over the top. I mean, she's she's Italian-American, which is uh, there's a huge diversity of Italian Americans in Rhode Island, the section of Rhode Island called the Hill, which we talk about in the book, um, which was predominantly Italian American neighborhood and still is to some degree. And then, I mean, Providence is really interesting because it it was a, a big mob town. I mean, it was like New York, Kansas City slash Chicago, and then Providence, which is so random because it's a small place, but they just were very well organized and had big players. And there's a really awesome uh, podcast called Crime Town. And the first season of Crime Town is all about Providence's mob and particularly our old mayor, Buddy Cianci, who was, I mean, like a beloved figure elected to mayor even after he went to jail for... (laughs) (laughs) That sounds like some Chicago shit right there. (laughs) That's right. He, He had a his wife was cheating on him and he brought the guy to his house and attacked him with a fire poker question mark. It was something like, like that. I mean, there was other like financial stuff. It was like, but it was good. Like anyway, and he still got reelected when he got out. I just, Oh, so good. Okay. So I just, that vibe is amazing. And I, and I, so I really wrote crystal to have, well, she has that background, but something all my characters kind of have. And I didn't even realize I was doing this um, until I wrote it, which happens a lot. But almost all my characters are always trying to be something they're not, which is something like I'm from a teeny town in Oklahoma. And I've always felt like I'm trying to not be the like rural girl, the hick or whatever. Like I feel like this idea of trying to transform yourself in the environment that you're in is a theme I will probably write in every single character. So for Crystal, she leaves her Italian-American neighborhood to come to what is the east side of Providence, which is like the fancier side of town. And oh, you're from the east side. Uh, So I loved, you know, kind of having her deal with issues around her, her roots, and then kind of what she thought would be success and like what that looks like and whether or not that actually pans out. So that's really interesting, Vanessa, because I would have said Crystal is so different from the protagonists of your first two books, because she's just like really brassy and funny and all like, so it's so fascinating that you see that commonality. And I can totally see what you mean. But Crystal is like, a riot. She has the best lines. She's just, and she's a little older than the other widows. Still, still a young rich widow. (laughs) Like let's, (laughs) but she's older. So she kind of takes on this like motherly role sometimes, but not in like a loving way necessarily more in like a get your shit together kind of (laughs) way. Yeah. She's a blast. 
So let's talk a little bit about how these women all relate to each other, because like obviously they're thrown into the situation because their spouses are all killed in this plane crash. Um, oh, and I should say my character is queer and is with the one female partner. So they're not legally married because this is the 80s, but she's got a lot of paperwork to say that she has a right to her her deceased partner's stake in the law firm and, and various other things. So they're all, um, even though my character is not legally a widow, they're all like widows in spirit. <laughs> and um, they're thrown together in the situation where they would never really, like these are not people who would meet each other. Otherwise, they're not people who would be friends. And now they're having to figure out how to run this law firm, figure out what happened to their spouses, figure out all of these things. And it doesn't really go great at first. Right? <laughs> I think Justine's character, you know, she's, she's thrown in with these women and these are definitely not the friends she was looking for. And they're, you know, especially when she's confronted with some of these things like the mob or, or um, Camille's whole, you know, way of being right. <laughs> very like uh, me forward. Right? And which is what she's struggling to even put herself in the equation. Right. So I think uh, it's, yeah, she's, she starts off, I think, intimidated and also kind of just wanting to get the heck away from them as quickly as possible. And I love that one of the arcs of our story where we were really able to show how we have these characters that have every reason to kind of hate each other, that through the experiences that they have uh, over the book, uh, really are bonded. By the mm -hmm. Right. And especially with um, Justine, you're... Or Kate's character, Justine, and mine, Camille's, you know, I don't think it's a spoiler if I say that Camille was sleeping with Justine's husband. And that's <laughs> kind of one of the first things that we find out about these characters during the whole, you know, funeral and grieving and which makes her very unsympathetic, right? And certainly makes those two characters go at it in ways actually through most of the book that are... Um, it was a lot of fun to write. Probably not so fun if you're one of those characters. <laughs> but beyond that conflict, like the rest of it, it's very much, um, there's all this conflict that's not about a man, not about like a lot of the things that we typically see women fighting about. Mm -hmm. yeah, it's like very grounded in their emotional reality and what they're going through in this situation. And I mean, there is there is like one kind of cat fight scene towards the beginning because you have to have that in an 80s <laughs> story. Like, come on. <laughs> But then they learn and they grow and they become friends. And and in ways that are, I think, a little unexpected for both of them as well. Uh, so I think for Crystal, she definitely considers herself the HIBC. And she, you know, she feels like she built this firm with her husband, which, you know, she kind of did. But that these other three don't deserve it as much as she does. And, and if they do want their money, they're going to have to kind of work for it, too. Because I know... You know, with Lane's character, definitely Meredith would like to kind of just like cash the check and go. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. She doesn't want anything to do with any of these women Nothing. either. But like not even because she doesn't like them necessarily. She's just like, I have work to do. I got to get back to the club. Like, I don't have time for this. Absolutely. And they're crazy. I get it. And then, you know, for Justine's character, like she has a kid, which is a very good reason to not want to deal with things. But there's also a little naivete, I think, for her of like how deep and how involved her husband was and the the dirtier side of the firm. And, you know, I would say Camille kind of gets it, though. Like she you know, knows that they have to, like, figure this out um, and she's willing to go have drinks with someone or, <laughs> you know, like do the work because she knows what it's like to not have money. And I think that's probably the biggest thing for her. She's like ready to work too. And I think 
you know, Crystal is coming from that perspective of like, all right, we got to we got to do this, whether we want to do it together or not. And it was really fun writing like each of these women kind of has their own unexpected superpower that comes out as part of this trying to figure out like what happened to the spouses and like how the mob is involved in all of this. So like Meredith actually has a lot of business savvy and then Camille can you know, she uses her body, but she also has some other other talents. And I don't really want to spoil what Justine's is. We're going to save that for the listeners of, of the book, but it's good. <laughs> well, and I also think with Camille, you know, it's that people see what they see of her and then they underestimate her, but she's yeah. a lot smarter than, um, than she's given credit for. And she's okay with people thinking she's not smart so that she can outsmart them. Um, do you want to talk a little bit about the process of writing for audio? Because this was the first time I had tried to do that at all. I have a little bit of a playwriting background. Um, so, you know, used to writing dialogue, but this was a different challenge because it's, you know, we've had books turned into audiobooks, but we were specifically writing for audio. We wanted to make sure that the characters' voices were really distinct. But what what else was like on your minds as we were approaching this as an audio first project? Well, I think on my mind was really just having, you know, that when they're, when you're in the character's head and they're telling, you know, they're, they're really, in some ways they're taught, we knew they'd be talking to the reader. So when you're reading it in the book, you always think, okay, now it's close, you know, it's close third or it's first person. I'm listening to their thoughts, but here it had to be where there was a, and even when I listen to the book, um, now that we've, we have the audio, there's such an intimacy when somebody is talking to you and kind of letting you into their thought process and their vulnerabilities and the things that they're thinking while the action is going on. And I just thought that that worked so beautifully in, in an audio where all the characters are first person. And I'm not sure that I knew all that when we were writing, but I, I did kind of have this idea that in some ways our characters were talking and explaining themselves to the reader at the same time that they were going through the action. And I, I really found the intimacy when we finally listened to it just uh, really pulls you in. It's great. Yeah. And the other thing that I think works really well, and I don't think, at least I didn't go in thinking that this was going to be specifically because of the audio, but but because of the um, the scenes and the situations that we put these women in and it's so over the top and the mob and there are wolves and like all these crazy <laughs> things happen. But that works really well in audio because it's just so, you know, I realize it's audio and this is going to sound maybe weird, but it's just so visual. You really see this, this book happening, this story happening, even though it's, you know, you're hearing it, you can actually see it as well. And that's very different than the other kind of books that I've written in the past. From like a writing nerd perspective, I just thought it was interesting that we needed to be careful with the he says, she says. And like where we put them, because I love to plop a he said or she said to break up a long bit of dialogue. But when you're reading it, it actually kind of pulls you out of the story a little bit. I know part of our edits was going back and fixing that. And that kind of stuff is so interesting to me about, you know, just how the experience is different for a listener versus a reader. I actually try to avoid those in my writing. I like more like, um, you know, some something physical, like he picked up the paper and then, and then start a dialogue or something. I think those are more, um, that's kind of the way I write anyway, but you're right. It does sound totally different when the, he says, she says on an audio book. We had to take out some of those too, didn't we? Like if they were breaking up a line, mm-hmm. they wanted like the action and then that's the true. Dialogue yeah. and, uh-huh. 
I just know I had to take out so many swear words. They were like, I'm swearing too much. And I was like, but. <laughs> we still have a, um, like a warning label on, our, on it though. So I feel like we still achieved. There's the warning. What? <laughs> bottom, so if you go to our Audible page, which everyone go and, and, and download, please, it's free. If you're an Audible subscriber, you read the description of our book. And then below that is like warning like foul language, blah, 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 blah. So, I mean, we still like. Okay, I that makes me feel better. Yeah. Thank you. <laughs> we, it, we still needed a warning. I got to keep it on brand. I'm already like, I, this is probably bad to say, but I'm kind of excited for all of the angry one-star reviews about like how gay my character is. <laughs> I was listening to Meredith's first couple chapters and I was like, this is gay as hell. People are going to be mad. Yes. Because you know I love a one-star review. I'm sorry if you guys don't feel that way. But I love a one-star review from an angry homophobe. So, like, I know I ruined their day. So I'm looking forward to that personally. I'll take that one-star review. <laughs> Means you listen to it. Bye. Long enough to get mad. Mm -hmm. I wanted to talk a little bit, since this is unlikable female characters, about, like, our different approaches, like, in our own work and in this book to writing characters that are on the various spectrums of likability or relatability, because this is something I like in my own books. And I would think you would say this to Vanessa in your first two, like we definitely wrote these characters that are super, they're just bitches, man. Like <laughs> there people aren't supposed to like them. And, and it was interesting to write this book, which is a little bit more, it was supposed to be more like fun and rompy and commercial, like in a way that I hadn't tried to do before. And it was like a real challenge to think about that because my natural state is to write characters who are just relentless bitches with no remorse. So I feel like Kim and Kate, you maybe write characters who are a little more relatable naturally. So maybe you can, you, you taught us a thing or two while we were writing, but yeah, if you want to talk about that. Yeah, I think, you know, I, I try to write characters that are flawed and you want them to definitely feel like full people and nobody's perfect. But I think a lot of my characters are, you know, they're trying hard to be as perfect as can be in their situations. And then usually some of the drama comes from that they're not acknowledging the flaws that they have that then keep tripping them up. And so, I mean, sometimes I think some of my characters can be unlikable in like a frustrating way. Because like, you know, there were times with Justine where you're just like, get your butt up off the, you know, and like, and oh, stop warning and go for it. But at the same time, you know, I'm trying to write, well, what would the experience be of someone who, you know, abandoned some of their ambitions to be a good wife and mother and then finds that she's been betrayed by her husband and also that he's gotten himself into these crazy business dealings that could, that threaten her safety and the safety of her child. And I thought, well, there would be, you know, there's a lot of hurt at first and then she goes through anger. And so there's, you kind of go through the spectrum of grief with her a bit. So I think at the end, she comes out on the other side. And my hope is that when you go on those journeys that they feel at the end, you feel satisfied because you're like, oh, they grew up. Yeah, I agree with all that. And those are typically the kinds of characters I write. So Camille was very much a different kind of um, person for me to, you know, get in her skin, get under her skin. I often have, like in my in my solo books, actually not often, with every, with every book, I've had a discussion with my editor about like, she's not so likable. I'm like, but is that necessary? You know, there's always like this line that you have to walk because you want your readers to at least understand what your character, where your character's coming from, right? So um, for me, it was a real nice 
relief to be able to write a character <laughs> that starts out kind of really unlikable. You know, she's sleeping with another woman's husband and that's just not cool. <laughs> you know, as, as she, um, as the story progresses and as she, you know, her arc, she, she works through her arc, her character arc. I think, you know, maybe that's my, my past writing coming back, but you know, she does become more likable and she becomes certainly more sympathetic and understandable as the story progresses. It's so interesting how readers react to like various dimensions of likability. So like my first book, the main character was a little bit like Camille in that she knew she was sexy and would like use her body to get what she wanted. And people hate her, like just hate her, think she's the scum of the earth. And then my second book is about a serial killer and people like her way better (laughs) because she's killing rapists. And she's got like kind of a sense of humor. And I'm I'm just like, how like in what world is my ambitious actress who uses her body to get what she wants like a worse person than the serial killer? But okay, people, like <laughs> very interesting. Yeah, and I think you know, infidelity is is a hot subject anyway. Um yeah. but yeah, I, you know, it's 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 interesting to kind of peel back the curtain and it's not just, you know, her sleeping with this guy, it's all sorts of other layers to it and their relationship, her relationship with her husband a relationship with Justine, you know, it's not just about infidelity. One of my favorite scenes when I was listening to the book was, and I, I'm not going to add spoilers, but there is a scene in a, in where they're, Camille and Justine find themselves drinking wine together. Mm-hmm. And it's just, it's such a, a turning point. I, like, I was tearing up listening to it because you, you had these two people. And it also, I think, very timely for, you know, the 1980s, why does the man not get blamed, right? right. Like he's kind of like in there orchestrating this situation. And instead it's like, you know, the women kind of turn on each other. And I think they had this reckoning of, you know, recognizing like what was similar about themselves and also, um, you know, maybe putting some of the blame where it belonged. And I don't know, there was part of me that I listened to that and I was like, that, that was very satisfying. And, I, and it was satisfying when we wrote it, but it was also like, I think to just hear it, I... I loved it. Yeah, like the real villain of Fatal Attraction is Michael Douglas. I right. think. <laughs> right. Right. Agreed. It's his fault. And it's interesting in Young Rich Widows because it's like the man who I would love to place all the blame at is dead. So they can't yell at him. So they kind of have to turn on each other. But uh, yeah, like we should totally, I mean, I'm all for blaming men for everything all the time, as you guys know. <laughs> so. <laughs> Why don't we talk uh, for this last little bit about 80s stuff? Let's talk about the 80s. Like, Vanessa, why did you want to set the book here? Because you were the one who you were like, this is an 80s thriller. And we were like, all right, that sounds cool. The part of it was like escapism. And, you know, we were just sort of pandemicing. And, um, (laughs) you know, I think, again, I just love a good campy escapism. And I sort of have this you know, it's like a little bit first wives club, which I guess is a little early nineties, but still, but even like adventures and babysitting, um, like war of the roses, the witches of Eastwick. I just, and Oh, especially like, like, like fatal attraction. I mean, hell I even like Jade, which is a terrible movie. I just, I love a like a sexy, cheesy thriller. And there's no better time period than the 1980s, like the clothes and the hair and, cocktails another great one like I just everyone's doing aerobics and juicing and I just it's so good 
Um, I mean, and I lived during the 80s too, you know, so I can remember me like ratting my bangs and just all of it. So I just thought it would be super fun to just leave cell phones behind and the internet and having to talk to people all day and like easily Google anything and like just do it the old fashioned way of having to like solve a crime in some shoulder pads, you know. (laughs) In a hot, hot car. What what car does what car do we have in it that's like hot? I can't remember what it's called. Alfa Romeo. Yeah. In a hot yeah. car. I love it. Yeah, we had a blast researching all the cars and the fashion and like we were sending each other pictures of all these things and watching all these 80s movies. And I'm someone who like I was pretty young in the 80s and I don't really love the 80s aesthetic generally. But now this has given me a new appreciation for it. Like it is just so fun and cheesy and like such an interesting time for women where you have like this working girl thing, but it's sort of like caught between eras. Like it's I, I don't know. I yeah, it was a super fun time to set, especially a crime thriller, because like you say, if you don't have the internet and you don't have cell phones, like there's so much about the plot of this book that if you had modern technology, it would just fall apart. Right. And it just makes it so much easier. It's like, where were they? No one knows because there's no geo tracking. <laughs> <laughs> Should always write crime thrillers set before the internet. It's so much easier. And I think the 80s gave us an excuse to go over the top with a lot of things, not yeah. just fashion, but also like some of our scenes, like. I mean, <laughs> who could have come up? It would never work in a book set in current day. Like you just couldn't do half the stuff that we put in this book. But it it just, it was so much fun. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I also love that in addition to all the fun in the camp that we have, we get into some of like the real social issues that were that yeah. were prevalent in the, in the 80s. The fact that uh, Meredith's character can't be legally married and mm-hmm. what, position that puts her in the fact that like Justine is biracial and with a you know a Caucasian presenting child and the issues that she she has being in a kind of racially segregated city in the 1980s and fitting in there and and um and trying to to make friends where she's not um doesn't easily fit into into a group Mm -hmm. so I think that was a that was fun and it was it was interesting to I think think about how our characters they're defined by the era they live in. Right. Yeah. So who are y'all's favorite unlikable female characters of the eighties? This could be from movies or, you know, real people. Even we talk about real people as unlikable female characters all the time on the show. What the working women, is that the movie? When was that? I know we were talking working girl. Yeah. Sorry. That was later than this, right? It was it was after this, but it was still 80s. But I love Sigourney Weaver's character in that. Yeah. You know, I had never seen that until we were writing this book and I watched it as part of my research. And it is a fucking classic for a reason. So good. <laughs> yeah, Sigourney is great. Yeah. Also unapologetic about, you know, her ambition and, and getting what she wants. We even we used uh, Sigourney Weaver as inspiration for Robin, who's Meredith's girlfriend, mm-hmm. and that was a lot of fun. She's definitely, yeah, she's got that head bitch in charge kind of vibe for sure. Right. For unlikable female characters, this was mentioning cocktail. I don't know why, but the woman he contours kind of leaves. He's like looking for a rich girl, and he leaves Elizabeth Shue's character for like a rich lady, like a rich New York lady. Do you guys remember that? And she's like he makes her juice in the morning and she's like doing aerobics and she's like the bad guy because she's this like 
high powered, like knows what she wants, has a boy toy woman, you know, and should be with the sweet blonde pregnant now Elizabeth Shue. Um, I don't know. I, I love that the perception of like what a, a bad woman, same with, you know, even like a Sharon Stone and basic instinct, this like sexually empowered, granted a killer, but we, moving <laughs> oh, well, you know, like, but it's her like sexual empowerment. That is actually the like bad aspect of, of who she is. Um, or, in Fatal Attraction, you know, being hung up on the married guy, like her wanting him to want more from the relationship. That makes her the villain. It's like, what characteristics and behaviors make you unlikable? And it's usually like uh, either being assured of yourself as a woman or wanting something more than someone wants to give you. <laughs> Isn't that the truth? Yeah. My choice would be a real life person. I love Grace Jones. You know, she's a model back then. And I just think that she wasn't like her look was too strong. It was too masculine. She was very domineering in her personality. And I just thought, but what a great figure. And I think she's iconic for that reason, right? Is now we look back and we, we realize that like, here's a person who I think her whole look and what she gave off her kind of brand was embodying this. Um, I am who I am and I'm a woman and I'm, I'm female and I have a power right? And you're going to be faced with it. And not only are you going to be faced with it, but you're going to recognize its beauty. And I just, I loved that. I also think if from movies, um, like with Sex, Lies, and video, Videotape, that was 1980s, right? Mm-hmm. So I I love the, um, the female character in that because she goes from being kind of repressed and whatever to really, you know, deciding that she's going to... Um, engage in bad behavior and kind of explore that side of herself. And I thought that was kind of one of those character arcs that I like going from being repressed to knowing who you are. Let's see. I mean, obviously everyone in Heathers, I love that movie. <laughs> <laughs> like literally every person in Heathers. And then another favorite of mine is um, Jeannie, Jennifer Gray's character in Ferris Bueller's Day Off, oh, the sister. <laughs> amazing. That's a great movie. Because it's like when you're watching that as a kid or a teenager, you're like, Ferris is so cool. Like, he's so awesome. owning out with him. But he's a fucking psychopath. (laughs) (laughs) He is. He, like, meets all the characteristics of psychopathy. And she's, like, the (laughs) only one who sees through him and is like, this guy needs to be punished and brought in line. And, like, does no one see how he's deceiving all of you? And I don't know. I really related to her. And then she makes out with Charlie Sheen back when he was hot, that, like, brief moment in time. So, you know. (laughs) I like her. That's a really stressful movie. That is. I agree with that. Oh, I'm like, you are too young to be doing all of these things, mister. (laughs) And that poor car. The poor car. car. And it was supposed to be like a good thing. We're like, yay, now Cameron's going to come face to face with his father by destroying this car. I mean, it ran out the window. Okay, now I'm I'm getting stressed out now thinking about this. (laughs) (laughs) I'm not stressed for Ferris, but I'm definitely stressed for Cameron. Like poor Cameron, he needs a break. Oh, well, this was so much fun, ladies. Um, Why don't we go around and you can tell everybody where they can find you on the internet and then we'll wrap it up. So Kim, you want to go first? Sure. Um, I am on all the socials and I don't know what my handles are on any of them, but you can find them on my website. You can click through to your favorite, KimberlyBellBooks.com. 
I will echo Kim in that um, I'm on Facebook and uh, Instagram, not so much Twitter, although I will be tweeting about this book a little bit, but Twitter stresses me out. <laughs> and, so, and I'm at uh, kateholahanbooks.com. That's C-A-T-E-H-O-L-A-H-A-N.com. Books.com. So I'm, um, most of my handles are my name and it's Vanessa Lilly. Lilly is spelled weird. It's L-I-L-L-I-E. Um, I'm definitely always on Instagram and I lurk a lot on Twitter and retweet. Um, Twitter is my retweet place, but I'll also be like Kate kind of on there a little bit more, but we're going to like definitely be thinking up some really fun events for this. And I'm hoping getting some eighties fashion going. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. I'm so excited for all of that. Um, at the time this airs, Young Rich Widows will be available on Audible. So if you are an Audible member, it is free for you. And uh, if you're not an Audible member, you can either join or I think you can just buy it as well if you just want our book, which you do because it's amazing. Exactly. So thank, <laughs> thank you all so much and listen to Young Rich Widows. That's it for this episode of Unlikable Female Characters. Don't forget to subscribe, and you can also follow us on Twitter at UnlikableFCPod for updates, book recommendations, and angry feminist rants. Our website is unlikablefemalecharacters.com, and we're also on Instagram at unlikablefemalecharacters. Thanks for listening.